Now, I'm really excited to continue in our series this morning as we uh, spent a little bit of time last week introducing to you this idea of uh, the questions of Jesus. Jesus asked question after question in the Gospels. If you pay attention, there's more than 300 questions that Jesus asks. Jesus asked questions for a lot of reasons, I believe. Uh, some of the reasons that Jesus would have asked questions is to spark our thinking, to spark the hearing and the thinking of the people who are listening to him. But also I wonder if it's to spark our thinking. Uh, questions also usually invite engagement. We can't just go on our way. We have to think and answer these questions. Uh, questions also create conversations. So it's not just this one-way deal, but we start to engage with Jesus when we're asked questions. And then finally, questions build relationships. Questions build relationships. When we engage, when we think, when we engage, and when we have a conversation with them, questions build relationships. And here's the thing, one of the things I love about Jesus is Jesus often answered questions with questions. Do you ever do this? Do you answer questions with questions? Because I do. I love answering questions with questions. And on my best days, and I said, on my best days, when I ask these kinds of questions, when I respond to a question with a question, it sparks thinking. It invites engagement with the people I'm questioning. It creates conversation. And my questions can build relationships. Like at home. Anybody ever answer questions with questions at home? Come on. Nobody. Just me. Okay. Thank you. I have one in the back. Because I'll, I'll answer questions with questions all the time. Now, there's reasons I do it. Maybe I'm dodging the question. I doubt it because I would never do that. But I have a lot of reasons for, for doing this. Because I want to build a relationship. I want to spark thinking with my wife. I want to invite engagement with her questions. I want to create conversations. And I want to know her better. So sometimes I'll be asked a question like, how come you took that sleeve of crackers, the last one, out of the box, and then you just left the box there? And then I'll have to ask a question. I'm hmm, does that bother you? And, and, and then depending upon her response, then my next question might be something like, well, why does that empty box bother you? Does, does the empty box communicate something to you about me? I mean, what is going on here with the question? What's it about? And then I'll ask, well, maybe you remember a time when you had to clean up after somebody else, and was that a problem? I mean, there's any number of questions we can ask and answer. And, and perhaps my favorite one is when she's making meaning out of the, the story she's telling herself is like, is there another story you can tell yourself about my not throwing that box in the recycling? My curiosity does, certainly does in, in these moments, with, with my bride, uh, spark thinking. It invites engagement and it creates conversation. It does those things. Because uh, if you've ever done that and, and then you start to ask questions and you're annoying your spouse, well, it's, you're going to have plenty of conversation, I promise. And it, it builds and deepens relationship. But really, asking questions about these things are just to get her riled up. And I'm pretty good at that. And Jesus was pretty good at that too. Jesus asked questions all the time, and some of the time he did it to get people riled up. 
And I can think of a couple occasions. I bet you can too. But typically, when, when Jesus asked questions, this is what Jesus was doing. He was inviting people into his presence to think, to engage, to, to discuss, and to deepen relationships. And, and this was the case last week. So this is week two in our Questions of Jesus series. And, and Pastor Jamie uh, teed it up for us. He opened the series where Jesus asked this question. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Which really tested our understanding of security and abundance and strength. We have this deep desire for security, for abundance and strength. And so Pastor Jamie, doing what Jesus would have done, asked another question. What do we treasure? And this morning, we're going to ask some more questions. I'm going to ask a lot of questions because that's just kind of what I do. I've already teed that up and showed you that I'll ask question after question after question. So we're going to question uh, the Gospel of John chapter 13 this morning. So if you want to open your Bible or your preferred electronic device to John chapter 13, we're going to hang out there. And Jesus is up to his question asking antics again in this chapter of the Gospel. And, and Jesus asks this question, will you really lay down your life for me? Will you really lay down your life for me? And as we turn to the scriptures, I want to invite you to ask yourself these questions. Am I close enough to Jesus to hear him? This morning... Am I quiet enough to listen? And am I curious enough to keep asking questions? Am I close enough to Jesus to hear him? Am I quiet enough to listen? And am I curious enough to keep asking questions? Let's pray as we turn to the word. God, would you open up my eyes so I can see Would you open up my and our ears so that we can hear the things that you would want us to listen to as we quiet ourselves in your presence? And would you make us curious, oh God, to keep asking question after question about what it is that we hear today and what it is that you want for us and from us? We trust you. Jesus. And it's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. So John chapter 13, beginning at verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you'll follow later. Peter asked, 
Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's springtime, and I see green popping up through the beigeness that we've looked at for the last three or four months. I often ask myself, I wonder how I would do with it being beige outside for months on end. And it turns out I kind of like it. I didn't need snow. How about you? And, and, and with spring, uh, what, what comes is, is one of my favorite times of the year. It's, it's baseball season. And Pastor Jamie talked a little bit about Lent last week and how Lent is a way of preparing our hearts and our minds for the coming uh, of Jesus to celebrate the, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus on Easter Sunday. And, and what happens in spring training is players are now in Arizona or Florida, depending on who your team is, and, and they are getting ready for the season, and there's nothing for me, there's nothing like the crack of the bat. When a 100-mile-an-hour fastball is squared up by a bat, uh, there's nothing quite like it. It, it, it brings me great joy, and, and it still does some 30 years, some three decades after my playing days, and I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I'll listen to spring training games, I'm that guy. There aren't many of us left. Um, I'll, I'll watch spring training games on, on MLB TV. And uh, I've been thinking a lot about this. And, and I found it interesting. I mean, super interesting that one of the things I love the most is, is uh, rot with failure. The game of baseball is one failure after another. And I can't stand Failure. It, it's, it's deep in me. There's something guttural and um, unhinging happens when I think that I'm a failure. And as much as I love the crack of the bat, the thing I can't stand is when I, when I swing and miss and I hear, you're out. It's worse. And, and even worse than that, the most horrifying thing ever is to stand there and watch the pitch go by and hear those words. You're out. It's incredibly painful because when I hear that, the thing that's true is I failed. And then the message that I would tell myself is somehow that I am a failure. It's not true. It just happens that I didn't succeed in that moment. And I know you're asking yourself, what does this have to do with this text? It's fair. <laughs> I get it. But here's what I want you to do. Hang, hang with me for just a little a little bit longer. Early in my baseball career, I was anxious in the batter's box, desperately afraid of failing. I would flail at the ball that was over there by Ray's guitar when I had two strikes just because I did not, I wanted at least to try because I would do anything to not hear, you're out. And I was close enough to the game to understand. I mean, I was close enough that I was in the batter's box, I was playing, I was doing my thing, but I wasn't quiet enough to be patient. Nor was I curious enough to even understand what it was that I was swinging at. The pitch left the pitcher's hand and it was going over there and I would still swing at it instead of watching for the rotation out of the pitcher's hand and see that it's coming here. Now I can hit it instead. It doesn't matter where the pitch is going. I was flailing. I was not very curious. But as I understood, as I grew in my understanding and got closer to the situation, 
as I got quieter in that batter's box and more curious about what was happening in me and what I was swinging at, then flourishing started to happen. I could like actually hit the ball. I even walked once or twice. I mean, who knew? Now, there's a lot going on in our text this morning. And I want to take you back to it. So if you, uh, if you closed your preferred electronic device or if you still have your Bible, throw it back open to John 13. Because there's a pretty powerful interaction that's happening between Jesus and Jesus' disciples. And to put this interaction in context, there's a ton going on just in chapter 13 alone. So you can, you can scroll or, or just look at the section headings. I mean, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and he wants to wash their feet. But Peter, in typical Peter fashion, is like, nah, you're not washing my feet, Jesus. No, you're not going to do that. But Jesus corrects him by saying, you do not realize now what I'm doing. But you will understand later. Now, this, this phrase, and, and honestly, this in, these texts, this entire passage is one of those times when I wish we were like sitting in, around tables and, and we could just have a conversation where I would bounce some questions to you and you could talk amongst yourselves and, and we could under, really come to some kind of an understanding of what's going on here. Because what is Jesus saying? What's he up to? And as I quiet my spirit before Jesus, I I believe he's foreshadowing the question that we're sitting with today. (laughs) Will you really throw down your life for me? Because then Jesus predicts Judas' betrayal while not naming Judas directly. And Peter knows some things about himself. And I wonder what he was thinking about. I wonder what thoughts raced through Peter's heart and through his mind as Jesus said that. Did Peter hear, you're out? Did Peter wonder if it was him? And and, and these situations are only in chapter 13, a few verses before our text this morning. But now Peter doesn't have section headings to, to, to see and hear what Jesus is saying. He has to process information in real time. And, and he's getting stirred up as he listens to, to Jesus, because Jesus says in verses 33, 34, and 35, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you can't come. And then he says this. He drops some new information on him. He's like, here, boom, this is how it is that you are going to be. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are a disciple, my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus just drops a new command right in their laps. And though they weren't formally trained before they started to follow Jesus, they know the commandments now. And they've been close enough to hear Jesus preach. So when Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another, I think my ears would have perked up a little bit. I would have been like, hey, wait, I mean, this is new information. But not Peter, right? Peter's stuck. And Peter does Peter things when he's stuck. Peter has a particular way of being when he's stirred up, and so do you, and so do I. And Peter does what he normally does. 
<laughs> he, he speaks without thinking. Lord, where are you going? He asks. How in the world did, did Peter miss the, the new command? How does he miss it other than he, he's fixating on the first words and, and not on what's being laid in front of him? He misses the point entirely, which isn't much of a surprise if we follow Peter's life. Peter is an ordinary dude. He's a fisherman. He's unlearned, impulsive. He's quick to speak and slow to learn. He was impetuous. There was a time when Jesus' life, when Peter just jumped out of a boat and he started running to him. I don't think he thought that through very well. I mean, he, he and his brother Andrew were fishing and Peter comes calling and says, hey, follow me. And he just dropped his nets and he takes off. And all of this, I think, has little indication that Peter wants to take a third strike right? He's, he does not want to hear with anything in his being, you're out, because he just gets into action without even thinking, just like that. No questions asked. He jumps out of the boat, just like he dropped his net to follow Jesus. There's no talking to his wife. I mean, he simply followed. He just did his thing. At times, he was unsure, which is also true, Peter. But then there were times, I mean, he's a complicated person, Peter. But there were also times when he was resolute and he was sure. Like in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was hanging out with his disciples. And as they were talking, Jesus asked people, what are the other people saying about me? Who do they say I am? The, the disciples told them what they were hearing. But they weren't right. So Jesus turned to Peter and said, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And with all of this being true, Peter knows. And he's still stirred up in John 13. Peter's a simple man who simply loves Jesus. But hearing Jesus is leaving, he isn't thinking clearly. And in fact, he seems to miss the point entirely. And I wonder... If we do too. Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow. But you'll follow later. I wonder, does that phrase click for Peter? Recall the phrase from the, the foot washing? You do not realize now what I'm doing, but you'll understand later. Where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter doesn't seem to make the connection, which is fascinating because Peter knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He's seen him perform miracle after miracle. He's been close to Jesus. So close, in fact, that he was one of the three. If you read the Gospels, you hear it over and over again. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter's first. He's so close that he's been alive for all the recorded miracles of Jesus. So close that he's even been publicly rebuked by Jesus. And perhaps so close that he can't see or can't hear. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where, like, it's, it's right here and you can't see it? 
until your hand gets moved out of the way? I mean, have you ever had a situation like that or been in a conversation? The answer is right there, but you can't see it. Peter's been close enough, but he hasn't been quiet enough to listen. Nor has he been curious enough to keep asking questions. So he just flails at the pitch way outside the strike zone and says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You're out, Peter. It had to be a gut punch for Peter, right? And again, I wonder if Peter even hears Jesus. He asks why he can't follow, and Jesus doesn't answer the question because he wasn't given an, a, a chance to answer the question. Peter filled the space. He asks a question and then makes a comment. And I wonder what Jesus would have said if Pe Peter didn't feel the need to fill the space. Why didn't Peter just let Jesus answer? Isn't that fascinating? Why didn't he just let him answer? And the more I think about this, Peter actually understands that Jesus is predicting his death. And I think Peter's afraid of what Jesus is going to say. Do you ever do this? Do you ever ask a question and then give some comment after it and don't even let the person answer the question because now they're dealing with your crazy statement. I wonder if we would just be quiet and let Jesus speak. One of the things I wonder about for Peter, and I wonder for you, and I know it's true for me, is are there times when we can't handle the silence because we wonder what Jesus is going to fill it with? Like if we are still before the Lord and wait for the answer, there's fear and trepidation about what he's going to say. Like what if Jesus said, you're out? And we know Jesus would never say such a thing. And by this stage in his followership, Peter knows that the reality that his thoughts are not God's thoughts, nor are his ways God's ways, at least not all the time. Some of the time they are. Which seems to be the point for Jesus. Will you really lay down your life for me? Nope. In fact, you're about to deny me three times. Not once, not even twice, but three times. Peter, you're out. This is what you do, Peter. You speak without thinking. You fill the anxious air with words you don't mean. You've been in with me all this time, and yet you're not quiet enough to even listen, nor are you curious enough to keep asking questions. Is this us is this who we are because peter often said yes with his mouth but his actions were out of alignment we say yes with our mouths but our feet say no we say yes with our mouths but our hearts don't give in we just keep on doing the things we do we don't listen for peter to or for jesus to give us an answer so if you're like me 
not knowing what Jesus would have answered the question with, Lord, why can't I follow you now? And you're frustrated with Peter because Peter reminds you of yourself, is, is there anything that you wonder about today? Is there any other question that you want to ask? What is Jesus getting at? Here, what do you want me to understand, Lord, as you say these words? Because Jesus says, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? And I want Peter to ask this question. Whose life is it? Whose life is it? Is it Peter's life? Or does his life and all that he is and all that he has belong to God? Is this life that, that you're living, is it yours? Is it God's? Is, is the life I'm living, is it mine or, or is this God's? Will you really lay down your life for me? Whose life is it? So here's the thing, Peter was around. When Jesus said, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and doesn't come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. He knows that it's not his. He was there when Jesus said, those who hear will live. And Peter heard Jesus say, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What Peter knows about himself and about Jesus is pretty minuscule. And what Peter doesn't know that he doesn't know is voluminous. If, if, if this entire room represents all that Peter knows about himself, Peter knows about this much. And he knows perhaps less about God, apparently. Now, how about you? Where are you in your knowing Christ journey? We like to say around here that Jesus is the center and the point of everything we do. And, and, and since this is true, it's also true that you belong here. And because you belong here, the question I wonder is where are you in proximity to Jesus right now? Where are you in proximity to Jesus? Are you close enough to hear the question? Are you quiet enough to listen for his answer? Are you curious enough to keep asking questions? Because I'm going to hold up the idea that being proximate to Jesus is of great value. It's, it's everything. Jesus is the center and the point of everything we do. And being close enough to Jesus to touch him change lives. Think of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years or think about the guy where Jesus confronted him and he spit in his hands and he rubbed it in dirt and then he put it on his eyes. He could see again when we get close enough to Jesus that we touch him, lives change. But being proximate doesn't simply mean standing next to Jesus. There's something about being proximate that makes us quiet enough to listen. Be still and know that I am God, as the psalmist writes. 
It says we pray and talk to Jesus, it feels both right and necessary to hang up and listen once in a while. Right? The prophet Jeremiah said, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And so no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation you find yourselves in, do whatever you can to quiet yourself, to get out of your guttural responses and to get out of your your broken-hearted reactions and, and get to your thinking processes. Be quiet. Be still. And listen to understand. Which, of course, is a challenge because most of us never hear because we don't listen to understand. We're simply listening to respond. Lord, why can't I go where you're going? I'll lay down my life for you. We don't ask questions because we think we already have an answer. But if we're proximate to Jesus, to to be close enough and quiet enough to listen, we just may be curious enough to understand what Jesus is saying to us. We may avoid what Peter experienced in disowning Jesus once, twice, and a third time, hearing that rooster crow and having to wrestle with the reality that it's like, you're out. And it's one thing to stand there and take strike three, but what a horrible feeling it must have been for Peter to again be rebuked by Jesus. It's true for us too. When our mouths say yes, but our feet say no. The hardest question of the day. Have you disowned Jesus? Of course you have. Of course I have. Because if you listen to last week's question, what do you treasure, and you were quiet enough to listen, I imagine you were painfully aware of how we turn our back on Jesus and so often do our own thing. But what Peter didn't know, we know. We know. It's all in front of us. We have it. All that Jesus did after that conversation has set things right, friends. We can climb into the batter's box and go down swinging. Jesus has shown us and given us what Peter didn't have in the person of the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, you've been baptized in that font. You have the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us and enables us as his disciples to lay down our lives for his sake. It doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus loves you, and Jesus, thanks be to God, has never failed. Jesus knows you, Jesus loves you, and Jesus has given you everything you need. So as you find yourselves close enough to hear, quiet enough to listen, and and curious enough to keep asking questions this week, I invite you to ask yourself one more curious question. It's this. What are you going to lay down this week? What are you going to lay down this week? What are you going to lay down this week? The scriptures declare when we draw near to God that God draws near to us. 
So settle in. Find a comfortable place. Settle in. Allow the distractions to drift away. You might have to turn something off. And get quiet enough to listen. And when you sense Jesus revealing something to you, be curious enough to lean in and to ask again and again and again with questions that will enable you to really lay the thing down. What are you going to lay down this week? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bless you for your spirit that empowers us, equips us, and, and makes us enough that we won't fail because your spirit is alive in us. So would you draw us ever close to you? Would you quiet our spirits enough to listen to you? And would you empower us and equip us to be curious enough to keep asking questions, God? And would you make us curious enough to, to see the person around us, the one who, whose grandmother passed away this week, whose grandfather passed away this week, whose dad died last week? Would you open our eyes to those people? Would you open our eyes, oh God, to the person who's here that you haven't met yet? And would we be in conversation with them after the service? I mean, would you be with us and would you make us curious enough to ask questions about what is it, God, that we can do about what's going on in the Ukraine and the force that is Russia? God, would you speak to us about all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.